Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Motherkind podcast with me, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat to a wellbeing expert about all things motherhood. This week I'm chatting with the wonderful Dr. Rebecca Moore. Rebecca is a consultant perinatal psychiatrist with 20 years experience in treating the psychological aspects of pregnancy and birth. And her expertise covers PTSD, birth trauma, anxiety and depression, and the mum and baby bond. She's also training to be an integrative practitioner. So she's a huge advocate of holistic interventions like yoga, journaling, healthy eating, and meditation. I was so excited to chat to Becca, especially as I've seen so many of my friends struggling with the impact of their birth. I was really keen to learn about the work she does and what we can do to help both ourselves and each other with our birth experiences. I think this is such an important topic and one I really want to learn more and more about. Becca and I talk about what birth trauma is. Birth trauma is a spectrum of feelings and symptoms. So in a nutshell, it's a woman's subjective sense of birth. How we know if we might need help and what we can do to prepare for birth. I meet a lot of women who are incredibly well informed but just haven't really thought about their birth. They've had an expectation of what they might like to happen but they've never really thought about, well, what if? The importance of normalising psychologically challenging births, the power of journaling and other simple ways we can start to process our birth experiences. A lot of the women that I would work with, I would ask them to write down their birth story from start to finish. That in itself can just be really, really powerful. I hope you enjoy it. And if you did, join the conversation at Motherkind on Instagram or on the website at Motherkind. So, Becca, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Every week, my friends say to me, oh, who are you recording next? And I explained that I was doing the next podcast with you and you're a specialist in birth trauma and PTSD and PND. And it was amazing, the response. Normally, I get, oh, that's really interesting. And actually, so many of my mum friends have said to me, oh, I need that support Mm -hmm. and have opened up about their own challenging births and how they felt. Mm -hmm. And it just struck me how prevalent this challenge is. Yeah. You talk about birth trauma, mm. PTSD, mm. PND, and then what we would call subclinical, which I guess mm. is the things that can mm. be diagnosed. Could you just explain, because I'm really interested in the difference between birth trauma and birth PTSD and how we yeah. know what the difference is. I mean, I think they're terms that are often used poorly, you know, when you read an article about them. So birth trauma does not equal post-traumatic stress disorder. So birth trauma is a spectrum of feelings and symptoms. So in a nutshell, it's a woman's subjective sense of birth. So if she finds something about that traumatic, then she has a birth trauma. And the other big misconception is that, you know, it has to be a very dramatic, difficult medical emergency. That's not the case. When you talk to women who are traumatised by their birth experience, it's usually about them feeling helpless, mm-hmm. out of control, not being talked to, talked at, poor communication, lack of kindness, lack of compassion, feeling very helpless and overwhelmed. And their trauma comes from that, not necessarily what is happening mm. medically in the birth. So you can have a quick vaginal delivery and it can be traumatic because of, say, 
the way somebody spoke to you in labour, how you felt cared for or listened to. It's very much often about women feeling unheard and unlistened to, and then they become very anxious and panicky in the moment, and it feels very overwhelming. And when you use the phrase traumatic, how does that actually present? Because I think birth is, in my experience, it was the most monumental experience Mm, of my life mm, mm. today, and I did think about it a lot Mm, afterwards. mm. And so how do we know whether it is traumatic and we need help or we're having a good natural response to a hugely significant (laughs) event. I mean, I think it becomes traumatic for someone if they are preoccupied with it to a degree where they can't focus on anything else. So continually replaying their birth experience, overthinking about it all the time to the point where they can't function normally. It might disturb sleep, you might have nightmares about the birth experience, might feel that mood is sort of more chaotic, so tearful one moment, angry the next, sad the next, a sort of fluctuation in mood. Irritability can often be a part of it, feeling sort of overwhelmed and just that everything's too much. But it's about the degree of those things. We can all feel those things as yeah. new mum. As you were describing, I was like, oh, I experienced all of those yes. as a new mum. Everyone yeah. can have a really bad day where you've not slept and it all feels too much. But if you're having those feelings most of the day, okay. every day, yeah. and Another thing that can happen is you can get sort of avoidance of the birth. So rather than overthinking about it all the time or replaying it or feeling guilty about it, there can be a complete denial of it, not wanting to go to see medical professionals, not wanting to go back to hospital appointments. Even for some women, the baby, it can be very difficult. Mm. If your distress, your fear has been linked with giving birth and baby then that can be very, very difficult sometimes because that's a constant reminder of what you've been through. But I think trauma really means, you know, that feeling of overwhelming distress and fearfulness and helplessness during birth. And it might be the first time that some women have ever felt like that. Some women might come into birth with prior trauma and they will be very vulnerable Mm -hmm. to birth being a more difficult experience. Or if women have had prior anxiety and depression... We know that those women are more vulnerable to finding birth traumatic. Not necessarily, it's not a done deal, but we certainly need to give those women more support and care. But it's absolutely about what it means to that woman. So if a woman comes to me and she has found some aspect of it traumatic, it is traumatic because it's her story. And, you know, I would absolutely validate that and work with her as to, what can we think about or do to get her through this period? I think that's such an important point, is that if it feels traumatic, or maybe not even that word, yeah, which sounds quite a scary word, doesn't it? If it feels difficult, then it is. If that's your perception, then that's your reality. Absolutely. It's your story, it's Mm -hmm. your reality. If it felt in some way challenging or difficult or overwhelming for you, then that's where we'll work from. That's where we'll start from. And... That could be leading to some symptoms, no symptoms. You know, everybody has their own way of processing that. So, you know, for a lot of them, it would be denial. For sometimes it might be this overthinking. Sometimes it might go on to lead to depression Mm. or a PTSD. I would say probably not for most women. So for most women, it will be something that sits with them. And sometimes it will just fade with time and it just gets better. 
but sometimes it will sit there for a very, very long time and not really be dealt with so that then a second pregnancy can be very, very difficult. Mm. It can feel very fearful to have to go through that experience again. And I have met some women who've not had other children because the nature of their first birth experience was so very difficult for them. For me, I feel like there are so many women out there that this has probably been their experience to some degree who often don't have a space or a place to voice those feelings. And so they sort of get hidden and buried, which is never really a very healthy thing. And it's incredibly difficult for women. And I just want to raise awareness of this and say, it's okay. Lots of women are having this experience and there are a whole heap of things that can help. I was going to ask if someone had that experience. Mm. I guess the challenge with it is that as you say, you know, you go through this monumental life-changing experience, whatever type of birth you have, that's undeniable, isn't it? And then you're into new mum, where 24-7, really, you're focusing on someone else. And I think what's fascinating is the interplay of those two things can make it really hard to even find the space to process it you know that was my journey now I was a strong meditation practice strong journaling strong self-care first six months of my little girl I didn't really check in with myself properly Mm -hmm. and as a result you know all my challenging thought patterns and behaviors came up again so how can we find the space during those really challenging first sort of three four months to Mm. integrate that experience and then recognize that we might need to Mm. get some support or help I think that's really difficult because I would echo that in my own birth of my daughter. You know, I was a perinatal psychiatrist (laughs) who worked with women and had seen thousands of births. And until you're in it yourself, you think that you'll be fine, but until you've done it yourself, it's just meaningless, really. And, And my daughter's birth was very, very long and quite challenging at the end. And looking back, I was very anxious for about six months after she was born. And it took me... A long time to recognize that so I completely understand how difficult it is I think that's to so process that you know it's not easy I'm not going to sit here and glibly say that's a very easy thing to do but I think it's again about trying to think about how prevalent these things are for you mm. so often women will come and talk to me and say I've just realized that it's more than just being tired and it's more than just not sleeping because it's persisting it's there all the time and it's there at three months four months five months that's quite a common way for women to recognize yeah I think that's helpful Um, or I will see people and they'll say you know I just keep bursting into tears and I can't control it and it feels very out of control and that sort of prompts them to seek help sometimes it might be a family member that Mm. sort of has said I'm just worried that this is happening a bit frequently for you can we think about what that might be unfortunately it's not very well detected or picked up by health professionals and I think there's a real gap there for women the six-week postnatal check is tailored very much at depression so it doesn't really screen for the birth experience and I think most health visiting services aren't really looking at this or picking it up so it often gets missed and I would say typically I would see women coming to see me where it's been sitting there for quite some time right but this is you know why I want to talk about it so that people know that it exists as a thing I think it's something that women often minimize 
and link with just being a new mum and I want to say no it's slightly different to that and there are lots of different supports out there so please try and reach out there are lots of amazing online resources that often women will start to talk about their birth experience there so there's lots of bloggers out there talking about their own birth trauma experience and that can be really helpful for women to sort of identify with oh yeah actually I feel a bit like that too and oh actually there's 10 other people on this thread and that's okay then because they're all feeling like that. And there's a really good closed Facebook group run by the Birth Trauma Association where women are very vocal about talking about their birth experiences and it can be a hugely helpful community of women at different stages of their journey. So lots of positive feedback about things that have worked mm. and people saying, actually, I want to tell you about my second birth experience, which has been really wonderful and I could never have imagined this. So that's a lovely that's great. community. And I think things like that are often much more accessible for people. And it takes huge courage to go and tell somebody about this. And I think sometimes when you do and perhaps, you know, you don't necessarily get the response you want always, depending on who you're seeing. So sometimes doing it online to begin with can help people start to process and to find their voice and to begin to speak out. And that mm. can be really, really helpful. And perhaps to feel more empowered so that Absolutely. when you do go to see a health professional, yeah. who, you know, who unfortunately might minimise it or not understand mm. it, mm. that might give some resource to say, actually, no, sure. this is. Sure. So if someone, you know, is listening and thinks, gosh, you know, I really need to see someone. What are the avenues mm. that mm. people could go down to get some support around yeah. this other than the online resources? Yeah. So typically people would see their GP. I don't want to knock GPs because there are some amazing GPs out yeah. there. But I think it's definitely a trend that a lot of these women will be brave enough to go and talk about how they're feeling and it will be diagnosed as postnatal depression. Right. And it's not. It's a very different thing that's going on and it needs different support. So if you have a good GP that you're able to talk to, that can be a helpful route Sometimes you can access primary care, psychology, a lot of those services now you can self-refer and they will prioritise women with small children. So you should have rapid access to local psychological therapy within the NHS and that's pretty much UK-wide, although the waits can be long, unfortunately. And then there are a lot of excellent private routes you can go down. I feel that people shouldn't have to pay, but unfortunately, sometimes still that is the best route to see an absolute specialist in the field. Because I see far too many women that have been passed from pillar to post and people haven't understood that it's a birth trauma issue. Or sometimes, you know, just things like writing a journal, writing a diary can be the first step to starting to think about it and process it. I meet lots of women who that was what really helped them or people said things like exercise you know going and doing regular classes where I could breathe and just be and reconnect with myself because a lot of trauma around birth is often linked with a sense of feeling that you failed in your body feeling disconnected from your body you're feeling your body let you down or it might be about having had a cesarean section now you've got a scar and your body's different trying to accept that so something like yoga or pilates where you're grounding and coming back into yourself can be very very healing with trauma as well so there's a whole different set of routes and I think it's trying to think about what 
feels best and easiest for you and start there. And, you know, it can lead to other different things being added in. But it's just having the courage to take that first step and tell somebody how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And if you go to a GP and you feel they haven't heard you, dismissed you, if you can face it, see somebody else. Don't take that as the only opinion. Go back and try and see somebody else. Or go back with a friend, go back with somebody to support you, to advocate for you. Because I meet a lot of people where that's been the case, where they've been sort of shut down and it's been minimised the first time round. And that can be so, so difficult. Yeah, I can imagine when yeah. you, you know, finally found that courage, which must mm. be monumental mm. to go and speak to someone and share it, as you say, against all those feelings of perhaps guilt or fear probably yeah. to then have that minimized must be incredibly challenging yeah but I echo your recommendation on journaling so I think mm. you know whatever I've been through in my life that's always been my first port of call mm. my experience is it helps me to integrate the experience even yeah. just writing it down and I don't know the psychological sort of evidence or research against it but my own personal experience is that it's been probably apart from meditation one of my mm. really bedrock tools that's helped me a lot of the women that I would work with I would ask them if, or if they feel they're willing and able and ready yeah. to write down their birth story from start to finish that in itself can just be really really powerful or I will sit with them and ask them to tell me it in all the minutiae and that might take two hours and they run through the whole gamut of emotions of feeling really crying feeling angry but for some women just that in itself feeling listened to and heard and somebody hearing their story mm. and saying I'm really sorry that wasn't good enough I'm so sorry that you were treated like that. It was not acceptable. Can be massively powerful for them. And is enough for some women, actually. Mm. They will say that was the most meaningful thing in my recovery, was sitting and telling that story and feeling really heard and validated. Yeah, I was going to say it's the validation, yes. isn't it, of someone's experience, which yeah. I think is what we all, we all need is to be heard and validated. And I think, you know, one of the things that I teach actually is that, you know, pain and these experiences often aren't the problem. The problem is when we try and run from them or avoid mm. them. And that's been my experience is that when I've been able to process difficult yeah. things, the recovery has naturally yeah come most of the pain comes from trying to avoid absolutely the pain yeah. but the challenge of course is do we have a safe space to do that yeah. do we have someone we can do that with and like you're saying it takes time which as we all know of the nhs is not something that often is available mm. i mean i think it's just a massive false economy though because if you give somebody that chunk of time and they walk away from it feeling empowered and so much better in themselves and on a path to recovery it's so much better to do that than to try and chunk things into tiny consultations where things manifest and distress just persists. I also think that, you know, we need to be so much better at saying sorry within the NHS. Mm. I think there's a real fear of admitting mistakes, which personally I just don't understand because time and time again women will come to me and say, all I wanted was for somebody to say, I'm really sorry that happened. They're not looking to sue the NHS, yeah. you know, in any way. They just want somebody to say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That sounds so difficult. And I just don't understand why we can't say that, why we can't be transparent and say, yeah, we didn't do it well enough that day. 
because that's so healing for women mm. when you say that to them and it costs us nothing to say that and that's something that I remember because you recently ran the birth trauma conference didn't you and I was looking at some of the outcomes of that and one of them that I was just totally struck by was about midwives Mm. and I'd love to chat to you about it and about are we caring well enough for our midwives to enable them to then care for our birthing mothers properly and so I think there was a stat around 65% felt was it stressed at work you want to get it right yeah yeah yeah. I mean I think it's been in the news again this week hasn't it about how many nurses are leaving the NHS something like 33,000 a week and that's a real passion of mine is about how we care for our own staff in the NHS. I just don't think that we do it well enough. Mm. Now, that doesn't always excuse poor care. And we have some responsibility, I think, as healthcare workers to check in and see how we're doing and how we are emotionally before we go to work. Of course, there needs to be an element of that. But when I see most labour wards and midwives, they're under unbelievable pressures day in day out working long shifts there's usually agency stuff there they're understaffed and inevitably it leads to burnout emotional burnout for a lot of the team and nobody is saying to them how are you how are you doing are you looking after yourself are you taking enough breaks how's your emotional health and then that will lead to poorer quality care Mm. Without doubt. Do you think that there's a predisposition? Because I guess midwives by their nature are giving, caring. Do you think for them to keep going as opposed to... I mean, we talked about it a lot at the conference. You know, nobody goes into any medical profession wanting to harm or provide poor care. We go in wanting to provide the best care. But unfortunately, over time, that can be just chipped away Mm. by the reality of working at full tilt all the time and look at what midwives you know might be exposed to during a shift they might have a lady with a stillbirth to deliver they might have a medical emergency they're exposed to traumatic things do they get traumatized themselves yes there's absolutely evidence that as a group they are significantly more likely to become traumatized and there will be a proportion of them that are traumatized by their own experiences at work and I think we're very bad at recognizing Mm. that and then they're going to work with this trauma sitting there having to give and give and provide care to women and inevitably the care they provide suffers there's been a lot of research done about what so-called sort of neutral care which I think is what traumatised, burnt-out staff begin to provide. So it's sort of basic care. There's nothing overtly hostile about it, but it's just about good enough. A bit brisk, maybe. We can all think of that. You know, it's, it's okay, but it's not particularly kind. It's not particularly compassionate. It's a sense of, I'm here, I just want to get the job done. And if you're in labour, I don't think that's how you would want to be cared for. And actually, all the research points to the fact that that kind of care is as harmful to women in labour as somebody being overtly hostile. You know, you can imagine, can't you? You're there, you're tired, you're a first-time mum, you're in pain. You have no frame of reference for giving birth. You don't know. It's a great unknown. And you've got somebody with you who's sort of just about there with you in the room, not particularly kind, not particularly compassionate, sort of seems a bit fed up at having to be at work. And you can imagine then how that starts to cause anxiety and you don't feel very supported or heard or listened so it's a really difficult mix and so I suppose a lot of 
what I want to do as well is about training of mm. particularly, say, trainee midwives and, you know, who can carry this through with them, who can be aware of how much of an impact they can cause on that day for mum in yeah. that room. and I didn't have this experience because I was lucky enough to be at home and I had continuity yeah. of my care with my two midwives. But I hear it a lot from people saying, I had a midwife who I didn't get on with and the whole, you know, it was yeah. unravelling and then someone came in who was kind and compassionate and that made... I, I hear that a lot anecdotally, actually, yeah. the transition of midwives yeah. and the different experiences and personalities and the energies, I guess, that those midwives bring with yeah, them. absolutely. I um, mean, continuity of care is a theme that comes up repeatedly with trauma of course if you have somebody that you've known all the way through your pregnancy and you have a real connection with that's going to feel so much more supportive than going into a space with somebody that you've never met before but you know I always say to the trainees do not underestimate the power of simply being kind it's indescribably the one thing that can make so much difference to a woman Mm -hmm. I see women who have had a chain of things happen where everything went wrong but they had somebody with them constantly who was holding their hand calmly explaining to them what was happening checking in how they were and they will walk away feeling okay yeah it wouldn't necessarily be the birth they would have chosen but it was okay because they had just somebody there being kind so really try to teach you know at the conferences and to promote discussion about do not underestimate that that sort of basic human kindness and compassion and care can make a huge difference and unfortunately i think that's often what gets lost in the well, modern like you were, well like you were saying you know and it's not the midwives at all I mean I yeah, imagine that you know if I think about it in my own work when I'm stressed under time pressure yeah. I'm rushing between meetings my kindness goes yeah it's um, actually really difficult it's, to be consistently kind when you're is. busy and it's a hugely undervalued skill I think and it's very tiring emotionally and we need to recognize that you know if you've been on a 12-hour shift and you've given and given and given and given then of course you're going to need a time to decompress and think about that and it's not just midwives I really don't want to demonize midwives in any way because you know I've worked with some amazing midwives yeah they do an incredible job yeah and they do an incredibly difficult job it's everybody that that woman meets from the receptionist the obstetrician it's everybody can affect that birth experience and are we particularly vulnerable to some mental health challenges because of the vulnerability of our birthing body scientifically is that how it works as opposed to another big event in our lives so women who've had a prior trauma will be more likely to have birth trauma okay like hugely increased rates actually so if you look at the population across the whole about 100,000 plus women per year in England are going to be traumatised by their birth experience to some degree. Now, that's huge. Mm, that's huge. Did huge. you say it's about one in three? About one in three. Yes. I mean, it's probably about a more to 150,000 per year. So that's massive. But only about 4% will get a full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, can so you talk to that? that there's that's... that spectrum yeah. of things being clinical and not clinical for me I'm less interested in that some women like to have a diagnosis formally because it helps them to formulate where they're at but I think you don't have to have every symptom of a post-traumatic stress disorder to be traumatized by your birth you know it's a spectrum of different they're different aren't they PTSD is different different to birth so 
birth trauma is not PTSD. Birth trauma is a spectrum of feelings and responses to your birth. PTSD is where you have a checklist of 10 or 15 specific Which symptoms. would be a clinical diagnosis. Which would be a clinical okay. diagnosis. But that doesn't mean that if you have a subclinical diagnosis, you can't be profoundly distressed and affected. So I think for me, it doesn't matter. What I want is those women who feel distressed to be able to access support and care. And it doesn't really matter to me if they fulfil a diagnosis or not, because they're still affected and they're still distressed. So they still need care. But if you've had depression or anxiety or prior trauma in your life, so say things like abuse in the past or a traumatic event, then 20% of those women will have a PTSD rather than 4%. So, you know, there are vulnerabilities you can bring to labour that make you more likely to develop a PTSD. But then a lot of it is going to be about what happens on that day. So you might come into labour with no trauma at all in your history, but still develop a birth trauma because of that day. Yeah. What the events of your birth. Is there anything that we can do to minimise the potential for mm. the mental health challenges after mm. birth? I was reading about the power of expectations yeah. and yeah. having positive expectations versus mm. realistic expectations. What can we do? I feel that antenatally, we just need to have a few more honest conversations and explorations about what birth might entail. I meet a lot of women who are incredibly well-informed but just haven't really thought about their birth. They've had an expectation of what they might like to happen, but they've never really thought about, well, what if? And I think it's difficult because in no way should we be scaring women or frightening women, but I don't think we have to do that at all. We just have to have some more meaningful conversations about, say this happens in labour... How would you cope? What would you like to happen? Who would you like to be with you? If you had to have a caesarean, what would help you feel in control of that process? Would you still like skin to skin? Would you like the drape to be removed? Would you like to see the baby? There are ways that even where birth shifts and changes, and it will, it's unpredictable, a woman can still feel in control. And I think we're not having those conversations meaningfully most women aren't having those conversations they might have some abstract discussion once about a birth plan who would they have those well, with typically with the, midwives right. usually they'd have one discussion with a midwife but i think you could be having those with your partner yeah you know because often women will say i lost my voice i'm normally so confident and i feel so cross at myself that i lost my voice in labor and i also feel cross at my partner because he didn't advocate for me well if he doesn't know what you'd wanted beforehand, then you probably can't. So have those discussions before. This is what I would like to happen. This is what I might find difficult. What would we do if this happened? A lot of birth trauma will happen where there's a sudden shift in labour. And we all know that things can shift very quickly in labour. So think about that. If suddenly something happened and I needed to go to theatre... You know, how would I feel about that? How would I manage that? What would help me feel more in control of that? Mm. You can't plan everything. We can't always prevent trauma. But we can definitely have more honest and open conversations about things like that prior to delivering. It sounds like it's the emotional preparation because I see a lot of mums and you know I work with pregnant mums as well who are incredibly practically prepared but maybe haven't done the inner work as I would call it or the emotional work around what might my responses to that be especially as a lot of 
you know in our modern lives we're used to being in control Mm -hmm. a lot of the mums that I work and see with you know are successful and they're used to being heard as you say and then going into this experience where there might be loss of control they might lose their voice I think that's what's fascinating how we can prepare for that more mindfully yes I completely agree I mean trauma is one of the other big factors that links it is women feeling a loss of control so everything exactly what you said we're working women who are very capable very competent used to being in control of every domain of their life suddenly feeling utterly out of control and then feeling very anxious about that then coupled with people not talking to them not explaining to them you can imagine how that feels Mm. utterly horrendous and you can't prepare for everything And I think you can't assume that you can prevent all trauma because that's wrong. And then people can feel very guilty of, oh, I did all this work and I still feel traumatised. Have I done something wrong? To which the answer is no. But you can definitely be having lots more of these open and honest conversations about the emotional side of birth. Because most women, I think, actually don't really think about that at all. And I'm shocked by how little conversations they've had about it with their partner. Well, this is what I found. And then it hits them in the moment. It's too much. Of course it is. Of course it is. This is is something that fascinates me is, you know, a lot of my friends and NCT friends, these are highly capable, Mm. organised, you know, in control. And yet the biggest event, I think it's the biggest event of our lives. (laughs) Yeah almost a sense that you know the medical professionals will take over and I think that's a really interesting line to tread isn't it around empowerment versus giving away our power to those who are the absolute experts in delivering health and safety how do we tread that line there was a lot of discussion about the conference about that right okay exactly of have we lost power you know, women feeling that their power was taken away and that they then became voiceless and couldn't challenge what was happening around them. And should we always assume going in that the medical professionals should have all the power? And there's a lot of discussion about that. Yeah. Quite heated on both sides. I can imagine. And a lot of discussion about, you know, are we disempowering women through the medicalization of birth because they go in and give away all their power? And of course, some of that, you know, will happen to a certain degree because we inherently want to trust the people looking after us. And we're and we should in, a, in, in a lot of cases, we should. Absolutely, yeah. because they are the experts. Yes. But I think it probably has become too polarised and there needs to be a better moving towards each other and communication. And that, again, is why it's useful for women to empower themselves emotionally and have thought about these things so that if that situation arises they have thought about that before and instead of just feeling they have to go along with it they can still ask questions still have a voice still think about what's happening now that can be really difficult in labor where things are happening very 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 quickly but if you've at least thought about that before and your partner knows what you would like to happen and can talk to you and talk to the professionals it keeps a dialogue going that enables you to feel more in control. And maybe it's just that dialogue, as you were saying, that's important regardless of the outcome. Mm -hmm. And what about having an advocate, so a doula or even a private midwife with you? What are the studies on that and reduction of trauma? So most of the studies will show that if you've got a doula with you, I mean, unfortunately not independent midwives at the moment Mm -hmm. in the hospital setting, which is a huge loss, that it's very, very protective 
So I will often meet women who have had a very traumatic first experience and have used the doula second time round and it's been a completely transformative process for them. And it all comes back to the same thing, continuity of care, lots of discussion, lots of open discussion, mapping out your fears and your anxiety and feeling safe with that person and feeling they're absolutely there to support you. You're the centre of the care. And that's how it should be. That's how it can be within the NHS. But having a doula, yes. I mean, it's for most, I've a... never heard somebody have a negative experience. It's usually hugely empowering because they absolutely place the woman at the centre of the care, which we should do. We should all do that. But that does get lost without doubt. Especially as well, I think, you know, talking about the partners. I know my husband found the experience as well prepared as we were and we were incredibly lucky. We had two private midwives at home so we didn't have to deal with shifts changes but he found it incredibly difficult and I think that can be the other benefit of a doula is that Mm. often the partner is expected to be this advocate and to support the mother and and you know Guy's experience was that he was exhausted he was challenged seeing me you know going through what I was going through and I think that's where a doula can add massive value as well is supporting you as a family if the evidence for birth trauma for women is limited which it's growing actually there's some people doing some amazing work around it the evidence around dads and birth trauma is even smaller. Yeah. But everything we know is that all the themes that women talk about are absolutely the same for men. So men can have birth trauma as well. They can experience all the same feelings because they also feel out of control, helpless, don't know how to help their partner. And often we'll talk about one dad that I work with said he felt like a ghost in the room, completely separate, ignored not communicated with, that his wife was rushed off to theatre and he was left in the room with blood on the floor, gloves on the floor, and just sat there for an hour and no one came and checked in with him, how he was, how he was feeling. And I think we can see why that would be traumatic. So actually, you know, we need to think about dads as well. Yeah, I mean, as you were describing that, my heart was almost breaking for him. Just hear these stories where, you know, I'm so distressed on their behalf Mm. for the level of care that they received. And, Mm. but, you know, it's also a very hopeful picture because, you know, most of the people that I work with will recover and, you know, even have a different resilience afterwards you know there can be growth after trauma Mm. and they often go on to be amazing campaigners or bloggers or you know and have a very different experience second time round Mm. but you know this is happening and I really want people to be aware of it and to seek help if they I think that's and that's what I love about your message I mean your message is so for a clinical (laughs) psychologist it's so accessible and caring and kind and I think normalizing Mm. and I think that's the most important thing because you know my birth was incredibly positive Mm. and in some ways went exactly as I had envisaged it however I still had the opportunity to debrief with my midwife and I found that incredibly helpful so I think it's about not using those sometimes hard clinical definitions as you talked about to exclude some people from some of these brilliant methods you know such as journaling just writing down your birth story I mean debriefing is something that a lot of places will offer the evidence for it is actually mixed and it very much depends on who's doing the debriefing and how they do it for some women they don't want to go back to the hospital where their trauma occurred because it's too much at that point but for some people it can be really helpful to sit and go through their notes 
But I think the thing for trauma recovery is it takes time. Some of it will just get better over time. But use whatever feels right for you. There's no right or wrong. So that might be just really looking after yourself, eating really well. Exercise is hugely helpful it doesn't have to be anything dramatic it can just be a 20 minute walk twice a week with the baby around the park in the sunshine it doesn't have to be high impact exercise so you know as a new mum we can all get out and walk you know that's free that's accessible it doesn't we don't have to get dressed and go to a gym you know it's something that we can all manage to do and that in itself can be very very powerful talk to friends journal draw dance mm. sing because you, whatever, you do whatever suits you all those things can be massively healing there will be some women who you know therapy will be a good choice for them and a good option for them so that you, know, you can either access that as we've taught by the NHS or privately so if you're having sort of recurrent traumatic symptoms they can't stop thinking all the time mm-hmm. about your birth lots of nightmares not sleeping and seeing a therapist can be really really helpful and within sort of six to ten sessions can cause things to really settle down really improve so it's not a long-term therapy it's something that can cause change really really quickly and really easily there will be a a small proportion of women for whom they want to take medication and that works really well for them and that can be the right choice there's no right or wrong it's what feels good for you and works for you all of those things I would encourage people to think of as part of their recovery I think that's what I love so much about your message and you're training to be an integrative practitioner aren't you at the moment which is just incredible and you do yoga therapy don't you and music therapy we recommend yes so I don't I'm not a music therapist but certainly for me yoga is a huge part of my life and I can see how it impacts on my own mood and anxiety so it's something that I recommend all the time or just simple poses you know not overcomplicating things we've got enough going on when we're new mums yeah and I don't want to add to people's stress by saying do this 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 and this because that's not going to work so tiny small micro changes yeah that you can just gradually build on can make people feel so much better you know, coupled with somebody being there, hearing them. It doesn't have to be huge, dramatic changes. You can do little, tiny things, and they can start to, over time, just shift things into feeling more and more positive. And did I read that you've got a book coming out? I have out? got a book. I'm frantically trying oh. to finish it. So when's the book going to be out? It's going to be out this year, hopefully, or at the very beginning of next year. It's all about birth trauma and very much a practical manual for people that are experiencing that and the kind of things that might help them, but also for professionals of things that they might take into their practice to try and reduce birth trauma happening and to think about. I'm also really lucky in the conferences that each year I pay for a live artist who does the most amazing Yeah, I've seen them on Instagram, yeah. So they're all going to be in the book as well because they're just very powerful sort of messages about birth trauma and before your book comes out are there any that you'd recommend okay so there's a beautiful book called how to heal a bad birth which is written by a couple of australian psychologists which is just wonderful really recommend it it's very non-preachy very accessible it's chunked into different sort of chapters about self-care and different symptoms so a chapter of I feel angry or I feel sad or you can just dip in and out of it it's a really really lovely book so I'd really recommend that 
you know, in conjunction with some of the other fabulous books, just generally, I think it's a lot about self-care at the moment, isn't there? And they've all got lovely tools and tips. Susie Redding's books just out. amazing. Self-care revolution. Absolutely. So that's a lovely book you can just dip in and out of. And again, you know, it's very focused around mums and getting that not everybody has the time to do things for hours and hours and hours. So it's a very lovely, accessible book as well. Right. Something that I ask everyone at the end is if you could gift all the mums one thing in the world, what would it be? Yeah, that's such a difficult question. I know. <laughs> I, was thinking about I always it throw it at the end. I read it and I was like, oh, what should I gift them? What should I gift them? Because we're talking about birth trauma in particular, what would affect the most change for that and gift mums is I would gift them continuity of care in terms of their midwifery provision because it doesn't happen in the NHS widely at all. So I would gift everybody continuity of care as in the NHS so they had the same midwife every visit during labour and postnatally. And I think that would hugely change the amount of trauma that women feel. Because you've just got that relationship with somebody, you've got the space and the time to explore all the emotional preparedness for birth and to have somebody you trust and cares for you in your most vulnerable time when you're delivering. So I would give them all that. What an amazing gift. And maybe, who knows, you know, over the course of time, Yes, I hope we can. We'll see. We'll see. Well, thank you so much. I've I've loved our chat. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please check out my Instagram where we continue the conversation and I post daily about all things motherhood and well-being. Also, if you haven't already, have a look at my website because I've been writing more and more blogs and I'm also putting on there all the events and talks that I'm giving And of course, if you haven't, then please do have a listen to some of the other episodes because I'm chatting to some really incredible women that I'd love you to enjoy. And if you did enjoy it, then please, please leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. So thank you very much. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.